Uh, we're jumping into the book of Acts. If you've been tracking with us, we've been in the book of Acts for most of this year. And uh, it's a book that is so connected and so speaking to us because it is a move of God in the early church, in the explosion of his gospel out of Jerusalem post his resurrection, his ascension, and really his command to his people to go and make disciples. And so we have tracked it, and I'll catch you up if you haven't been around. Um, the Acts of the Apostle really does track this explosion and expansion of the gospel. We saw that it was the OG revival. It, it, it renewed it itself in ancient truth, that it's the unstoppable church, that actually it is the church that is uh, started by Jesus, commanded by Jesus, fueled by Jesus, and moves in the power of Jesus and his spirit. It's the same church that we see live and active today. We, didn't, we don't look back with rose-tinted glasses and say, oh, we wish it would. No, no, Jesus has continued his work, and it comes through us as the church of today. It so has connected to our prophetic theme for the year, and I hope you haven't missed it. You see it every single week on the screens as you walk in the door or as you jump on a stream. Cultivate. It's so connected to, the, to what we see happen in the book of Acts that actually we're called to spaces, places, relationships, that actually we have a life that was designed by God to carry hope to those places, those spaces, and those relationships. That's what we saw the early church doing. And we can't miss that God is wanting to do the same thing with us. And so today on Super Sunday, we get to kick off our new mini-series within the book of Acts. And it's called Salt and Light. Because that is what Jesus actually calls us to be. If you want to know, on Super Sunday, my goal is that I would remind you why you are here. That I would remind us why we are here. If you want to know why, it's because of Jesus. And so if you ask the question, well, why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came with a very clear mission. He came to seek and save, not search and destroy. That's what the Gospels tell us. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 3.17 says, For the God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's why Jesus came. So what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And so the way he goes is the way we should go. How do we do it? We be what he has called us to be. In Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He continues in verse 14, and he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are called salt and light. We're called salt because salt actually preserves life. We know life in Jesus and we get to bring it to the world. We get to go to dark spaces, dead spaces and bring life. We get to be light in that we expose truth. Where there is darkness, we can illuminate the truth of God, the things of God to a world that so desperately needs it. We know that light brings health. If you want to kill a plant, put it in a dark room. If you want to bring safety and security, you will bring light. If you need to secure an area, the first thing you should do is make sure it is well lit. We are called to be salt and light. And if we're called to do that, I want to ask us the question, well, how do we see this gospel move? I gave the message of the title, The Gospel That Moves. And we're going to be focusing in today on Acts chapter 13, the very first missionary journey of the apostle Paul. I'm going to set the scene for us on the front end, and then we're going to actually lay out seven ingredients. I've got lots of 
like food puns for you. Don't worry, they're coming. Um, seven ingredients for the move of the gospel. But I want to set the scene at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, where we see that just as Paul and Barnabas, as we will hear, had a space and place that God called us to move, he, he calls us even today to do the same. And so the picture is a picture of the church in Antioch, the beginning of Acts chapter 13. And Antioch significant, we'll see why. It starts in verse 1. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Antioch is a significant church because it's actually the first recorded Gentile Jesus-believing church ever. It's actually the first space where Jesus' followers are given the title and actually given the tag Christian. Up until that point, they had been known as followers of the way or people of the way. But the first time Christian is used, Christ in me, a little Christ, is actually with those believers who were in Antioch. Antioch was a city found in ancient Syria. It's in modern-day Turkey. It was a significant place, and it's actually from Turkey. It was a significant place, and it's actually from there that Paul will be sent into his first missionary journey. It's a significant moment, and we get met with this list of leaders in the church in Antioch. Five men, five names. And I want to highlight just the importance of the mix in backgrounds. We see that it's not just led by a, a, a one type of gifting. It says that they're teachers and prophets. They all have these different backgrounds that are in play. Take a look at the first one, Barnabas of Cyprus. He was a Greek Gentile. Important. First Gentile church, you have a Greek Gentile in the mix. Then you have number two, Simeon, who's also called Niger. It's actually a Latin word because he was a Roman citizen that literally meant black because he was a black African man from North Africa. Then you have another African brother, Lucius of Cyrene. It's in modern day Libya. They're joined by Manaean, a friend to Herod the Tetrarch. He was, so he would have grown up in the royal court. And so you have a guy that's got some political clout. He has always rolled in powerful circles. And then finally, you have Saul, who we'll know as Paul. And at this moment, he, is the, he has been turned to Jesus because he was a great enemy of the church. We find out about that. But as he is turned, he gets a new name, Paul. But he was a famous Pharisee. He was a academic giant. He came from Jerusalem and actually learned under Gamaliel, a famous rabbi. And so when it came to academia and literature, he was a spiritual heavyweight in that space. And so you have five men with very different backgrounds, very different mixes. And the two things I really want to highlight, even on the front end set in the picture of Antioch, is number one, in the church of Jesus, diversity matters. Not just diversity in terms of gifting and calling, but diversity even in terms of background. You have guys who were dealing in politics. You had guys who were dealing in academia. You had guys who had very different backgrounds and upbringings, and yet they're all called to the same purpose in the same kingdom. We saw earlier in the book of Acts that the first move of the gospel outside of Jerusalem post the ascension crossed a lot of boundaries, and the very first boundary it would cross is the racial boundary. And I don't ever want us to get caught and fall for the trap and, and believe the lie that somehow Christianity is a white-faced religion. Because I want you to know throughout Scripture you will find uh, white faces take a long time to get on the picture. When, what we have in Antioch is two African men in leadership. 
And so we can never fall for this narrative that is, is floating around, that Christianity came here on colonial ships. It's so important we know that at the very base, at the foundation, at the genesis of the church, as God moved his kingdom and his gospel forward, he did it with a people of diverse backgrounds. It didn't matter where they were born. It didn't matter. You had ethnic Jews. You had African men. You had Greek Gentiles. You had Roman citizens. It was a mix of everyone, but they were pulling towards the same goal. Second thing I want to highlight is that the order matters. You have five men, and it's done in an order, and that's specific. Because the list actually shows the level of seniority, gifting, and authority within that church. Notice that Saul is number five. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He writes 13 books in the New Testament. And at this moment, he's only ranked five. Because in this moment, Paul is actually in the waiting. He hasn't been made an apostle yet. He hasn't been counted in that number. That will come two chapters later in Acts 15 where you have the Jerusalem council where some serious, uh, some serious decisions are made. The apostles will gather and actually put out a list of what is expected of Gentile believers even though you had this mix of Jew and Gentile coming into, coming into one in Jesus. But the other significant thing that would happen at that council is that Paul would be recognized as an apostle counted within the 12, that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. It was a significant moment for the church. What I don't want you to miss in the picture of the context of Antioch is that the same Savior that was present there and calling them is the same Savior calling us, that the same Spirit that had moved them is the one that moves us, that the same word that they stood on was the word that we stand on now. And the same uh, way and move of the gospel that they saw is the same way and move of the gospel we can see now. This is how it continues in Acts chapter 13. It says this. This is a big chunk, so go strap in. Follow me on the sky, Bible. It'll be okay. It says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, it means son of Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and sought, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold... The hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Pray with me, and then we'll get into this. Lord, this is your word. This is your gospel. It is the good news of Jesus. It's not the gospel of Duncan. It is the gospel of Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer right now that your word would speak. 
Lord, I pray these aren't my words, but your words. I pray that you would speak to your church, that you would challenge us, that just as you call us corporately to move your gospel forward, I pray we would hear so clearly that you call each one of us individually to do our part, to take heed the call that you make on our lives with a purpose that you have set before us, that we would be a people who, who value, who care for, and who push forward the gospel of Jesus to those who are around us in the spaces, places, and relationships you have for us. Jesus, I pray you be glorified in this. I pray you be over my words. I pray you be over these moments that we get to share. And everybody said, amen. I told you, we've got ingredients for the move of the gospel coming through this passage. I wanna give you seven ingredients that kick in. The first one is this, it's calling. It's same seasoning, different flavor. Told you I got some puns. It says that they're worshiping and the Holy Spirit gets involved and actually says to them, hey, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And it uses this phrase, for the work to which I have called them. The first ingredient of the move of the gospel is the calling of God. If we don't have the calling, there is no point in moving. Everyone is called to ministry. And I know we can get caught up in the dilemma where you believe I am in ministry and you are not. Because I stand on a stage and I get paid by a church. Can I, can I just break that for a moment? Every single one of us, no one is exempt, is called to the ministry that Jesus calls. Now, how it get play, gets played out in our assignments might look a bit different. But we are actually all called to the same purpose and the same mission. That we're called to be his representatives, to be Jesus' ambassadors, to be his salt and his light on the earth. No one is exempt from that. It might just look different for you and me. And so it's really important that here at City, you'll know we use our steps language. And it actually comes from the book of Acts. We talk about this, taking the step of being saved, added, built, filled, purposed. If you've done the landing, you'll know it. If you haven't done the landing, come next week. We'll get you there. And this is where the purpose step actually comes out. Uh, I speak about it in the purpose step that actually we're all called to the same purpose, but our burden or our calling will get quite unique in how it plays out. And notice this, because we love to say, okay, cool, clearly the mission is to discern the calling of God for my life. It's important that the wording here is for the work to which I have called them. Each one of us have a unique assignment. None of us get to choose the assignment. God is the one who chooses God is the one who calls. Our job is to discern and be obedient to his call on our lives. What I want to highlight just in terms of application, I'm going to be try to be quite practical in applying these things to our, our, our life here and to us as City Hope Church. The first one is this idea of a diversity in calling, a diversity in assignments, even a diversity in the gifting we see in the church in Antioch. I want you to know that's how God uses uh, each of us to build up his church. That actually, because we have unique callings, because we have unique gifts, it is a good thing because it builds us up. Because where I am weak, you may be strong. That actually in Antioch, we see these five guys who have this, these different makeups. They are prophets and teachers. They have all these different backgrounds. They have all these different experiences that have led them to this point. And so each of them have something unique to offer. Only two of them get sent out to go and do a missionary journey. God equips and calls them to that. And so when you come into this space where God is calling you to partner with us as a community of faith, as a, a family of faith, I want you to know we need your unique calling. We need your unique gifting here. 
it's important that it is expressed here because otherwise we might be lacking a piece of the puzzle that God is putting together. Next ingredient is opportunity. Opportunity. We need to spot the gap. They get to this place called Salamis. And they go directly to the synagogues. of the, It says the synagogue of the Jews. And they begin to speak and they begin to share the word of God. We are sometimes really bad at this. We forget that it, sometimes our first call needs to be to spot the open doors. Because in the early church, this was, this was prevalent. Actually, even within Paul's uh, ministry and his missionary journeys, it was always his uh, process, his model, to go to the synagogue first because it was an easy open door. He was a Jewish man, a learned man, and so he could walk into any synagogue and be able to teach. And so he could open up the Old Testament scriptures where they had some commonality, and he'd be able to share and, and illuminate the truth of Jesus even in the scriptures they knew. And so he would spot the gap, take the opportunity, and be able to share the gospel and move the gospel forward in that space. Now, what would happen often is some would be convinced and would believe, others would reject, and eventually he'd get kicked out of the synagogue. But now he had a small group of new believers who have now been called to this place and this space, who have their relationships in the marketplace and in uh, the Gentile audience, the Gentile cities they found themselves in. And so now they were able to spot where the open doors were to bring the gospel and move it forward. The warning for us is not the, is this that sometimes we believe it is greater ministry when it's a closed door and it's a tough space and where we have to force the gap. Can I just say, God gives us opportunities. He helps and gives us wisdom so that we can spot gaps and we can walk through open doors. That is not less ministry than the tough spaces where it is to share. The only question is, hey, is God calling us? Is he helping us spot the gap, spot the opportunity? And more importantly, are we obedient to walk through it? The application is, this. We need to be asking ourselves the question, hey Lord, right now, where is my synagogue? Where is the space where you have a commonality, where there is an openness to you sharing a bit of the hope that you have within you? What does that look like? And then the question is, will you be obedient to spot that gap and walk through it? Next, we find this, the ingredient of priority. Move in the spirit and earn the right. It's a twofold process. We see there's this priority on the spirit within this passage. Actually, it gets mentioned quite a few times. Four times uh, it gets mentioned that the spirit speaks, that he sets them apart, that he sends them. He's the one that fills um, Paul as, as he encounters the magician. And the question is, well, what made Jesus move? And we see even throughout the Gospels, Jesus would be moved and led by the Spirit in all that he did. When he performed miracles, he would do it in the power of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit in that space. I think we can't miss that the Gospel only moves when the Spirit moves first. That actually we need to be ones who move in the Spirit so that the Gospel can move into those spaces and places. I had this moment. Um, when I was uh, in Bible college, second year, uh, I had a, a lecturer who was a cessationist. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. It's someone that uh, believes that actually all of the things of the Holy Spirit, gifts, miracles, all of that ended in the, in, with the apostles in Acts, and that's it. It ceased. And uh, he, he was strong in that. And so whenever there was anything around the Holy Spirit, he would always get a little bit antsy. And we go out to this mission trip um, as a part of our second year studies, and it's a rural mission trip to rural KZN. 
And uh, we're all in the midst of doing ministry throughout the week. We're visiting people's houses. We're chatting to people on the street. And uh, we had come one day, and this lecturer was with me, and we had come to this old lady's house, and she had invited us, invited us in. We sat on her couch. Uh, we, got, we, we had a cool drink. She had loved Jesus for many, many, many years. And so we got to have an amazing conversation where she actually encouraged us in the Word, where we got to share with her, where she got to share a little bit of her heart, her story, the hope of Jesus in her. And then she even started to brag about her family, told us about her two kids that she was so proud of. And so I thought, okay, cool. It's going to be one of these type of conversations. You, you know, you feel like built up in it. It's exciting. Um, we, well, what a great moment to have. You feel encouraged. And in the midst of this, Holy Spirit just stopped me in my tracks, started talking to me in my heart. And I just felt he say, ask about the third child. I don't know where it came from. God dropped a word of knowledge. Ask about the third child. And I was like, no, Lord, please, no. It's going to get awkward now. She just said she's got two children. Now I'm saying, is there a third? Now she denies it. Now it's awkward. Now I look like an idiot. I'm having this conversation in my head. And I get to the moment where I've now built up the courage and I'm like, actually, I'm a Bible college student on a mission trip and I can't do this. Something's wrong. Um, And I built up the courage and I said, We've just loved hearing your heart. I, I, I love seeing your faith. I, I can just see how much you have loved Jesus for so long. And I love how you spoke about your kids because you seem so proud of them. But I just want to ask this question. I don't know why. I just have this feeling. Do you have a third child? And as I said that, as I asked that question, she just burst into tears. And she told us actually she does have a third child. And that child actually had abandoned them and had run away. And she didn't know where they were, didn't know if they were alive or dead. To the point where she was, she was stopping talking about them. That's, that's how, how much her heart had been broken in this. And I said, I just want you to know, God had me ask you that because I believe he wants you to know that you might not know where they are, but he does. You might not be able to hold them right now, but he is. And that he, I want you to know he's working in the background because he wouldn't be telling me that unless he wanted you to know that he knows. And in that moment, you watched a mother's heart just get cared for by God, having loved God for so many years. But it was even a moment where maybe salvation was not the thing that was happening, but there was a move in the spirit where there was gospel truth that could come through. Hey, don't forget, God sees you. God knows you. God is moving even when we don't see it, don't feel it. And when you have that move in the spirit, I want you to know it always helps us earn the right. And that's actually the model Jesus had in moving the gospel forward. He would always earn the right to speak first. And so he would either do a miracle where he would be moving in the spirit that would earn the right, or he would simply just show care and attention so that he could earn the right to be able to speak. We even see this moment um, in the gospels where he encounters this massive crowd and they want to hear him teach. They want to hear him speak truth. And they're in the midst of it. It's been long. They're hungry. And so the disciples say, well, listen, We need to dismiss them so they can go get food, and then they can come back and listen. And Jesus says, no, 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 we will feed them. And Jesus is modeling the idea that actually we have to preach to a physical need first before we speak speak to a spiritual need. That actually we need to look to a, a temporal need before we can start to speak grace and truth to an eternal need. And in that, he showed his care and attention and his compassion and his love for this crowd, and then was able to speak. He earned the right 
to share the next ingredient, which is number four, the truth. I think we all can see through this that sharing the truth is of utmost importance to Jesus. He actually calls us to be carriers of hope, that we bring it into our spaces and places, that we share the truth that he has uh, made us alive inside. But I don't want us to ever forget that the how matters, that simply sharing the truth for truth's sake is probably not going to take us down a great road. But the how is always important. They encounter the pro-council and, uh, and, and this false prophet in Paphos on Cyprus. And the sorcerer, it says very clearly, is trying to lead the pro-council astray. But I don't want you to miss, and the pro-council was the governor, that he was the chief authority over the island of, uh, of Cyprus. But I don't want you to miss that he actually had called for Saul and Barnabas to come and share the truth with him. And so he was actually inviting them in. And how they share is so important. Because these are missionaries. They're absolutely nobodies. They, they don't have any Roman human authority. And yet in this moment, because they've been called by God, sent by God, he opens up an opportunity, opens up a door where they now get to speak to the most powerful man in that area. And he actually encourages them, please, would you share the word of God with me? It's a move of the gospel where we understand that we are armed with truth. But that doesn't mean we have to be ones who machine gun nonstop all the time. Because we know those people. I know, you've probably got an aunt on Facebook who does this, who just blasts truth. And it might be speaking truth. It might be coming from a good place. But we know how it has been shared has led to only one response. And that response is hardness of heart and closing of ears. The how we share is so important because it can so determine how it is received. It's why 1 Peter 3 says this, but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord, as the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a, re for the, for your, ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're called to share the truth. We don't compromise on the truth. God's the one who's going to open up opportunities where someone will ask you about the hope that is within you. And you better be prepared with a defense, with an answer for that truth. But how we share it is so important because it has to be wrapped up in love. It has to be wrapped up in gentleness and respect if we're going to do it the way Jesus had meant. Next ingredient is this. It's opposition. We're going to take a focus on this magician, this sorcerer. We need to know the enemy speaks of this man and his name is Elimus and he says he opposed them. And at the key verses, it says he was seeking to turn the pro-council away from the faith. And so understand he was completely an enemy of the faith, an enemy to the gospel moving forward. And so he was doing the work of Satan and demons in that he was trying to divide God and man, that he was trying to put a space and a division between God and his creation. And so opposition in this space is always guaranteed. If the gospel is going to move, there will be an enemy who comes against it because Satan always seeks to divide God and his people. But I don't want us to ever get this picture wrong because so often we can get that there is an opposition, that Satan is an evil one who comes. But I think we sometimes make the battle this, it is God versus Satan and we're somehow in the mix. And God and Satan are taking pot shots at each other and we're kind of the collateral along the way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever received it. I have, unfortunately. 
You get those broadcast messages where it's like, hey, send this to 10 people, otherwise they're not protected from the work of Satan and demons. And it's always accompanied with like this picture of like God and Satan and it's all dramatic and hardcore and they're like arm wrestling. I think it's the worst picture because what it does is it it pits Satan and God on the same level, which that's not the case. God is creator. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. Satan can't even get on the battlefield with God. He's created. He's weak. Now he has some power but nothing against God. And so what does he do? He says, I'm gonna choose a worthy adversary. I'm gonna oppose a, a, a space where I have some power. And so he comes after us. And so don't miss that God's opposition is not Satan. Satan's our opposition. He's the one who moves. Because if we get stuck in that picture, somehow uh, we forget that the, that the battle might be raging, but the war has already been won. And so we understand that the battle is here now, but we know how this thing ends. And we know what God is doing in the midst of it. But we can't miss that every scheme of Satan is to pull us away from God. And he'll use anything he can. He'll absolutely use anything, any means to put that gap between us and God. He, he, he'll use things like temptation to lead us down a road of immorality. Or he'll do it the other way and say, you know what, I'm going to give you morality. So you go down a road of dead religion where you don't actually know God. It doesn't matter the means. His only goal is that there would be distance and space. It continues into the battle. Ingredient number six. The battle gets heated here. And I think the important thing to note in this ingredient is that the when matters. Because I think it's important to note that Paul fights back. But he doesn't pick a fight. He just knows when to fight. And I think in the move of the gospel, we need to be so in tune with the spirit and with what God is doing that we know when to fight and when we don't need to. He fights because of, of one thing. The proconsul was actually being led astray. And so what was in danger? Someone's soul. When someone's soul is in danger, that's when we know to fight. That's when the gospel actually needs to move in that space so that that person can be protected and preserved. Because there will be a lot of sorcery around us. Sorcery in this case is what we see. But it's actually just the thing that's seeking to pull us astray, to lead us away from God? How many of those things do we have around us? How many of those things are involved in our culture and what we bring in, in our value systems? So many of these sorcery things actually seek to lead us astray. But even in the midst of this battle, we need to realize that we're dealing with a person's soul. And so it's important that we don't just get on on a tip where it's all about, let's drive out the sorcery. Let's just get into culture, shift culture, that's our only focus, and forget that actually Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so we have to hold the tension and the balance and realize that we're coming to protect a soul, to to preserve a soul, to lead a soul, but that means we might have to sometimes fight against the sorcery of our world. We might have to fight against the things that make crooked the straight paths of God. I love this. I love that as Paul turns his attention to this false prophet, this magician Elimus, he actually says, hey, you're making crooked the, the straight paths of the Lord. And he says, here is, 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 is what will come against you, and I'm gonna make you temporarily blind. Paul knew that, and I don't miss the irony, because that is exactly what happened to him. That was the exact story he had. He was making crooked the straight paths of the Lord because he actually was so opposed to the gospel He was so opposed to Jesus that he was going out and fighting and uh, 
plotting against the church and those who follow Jesus. And Jesus will meet him on, a road in, on the road to Damascus, knock him off his donkey, and say, hey, you are spiritually blind to what I am doing. You are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And so I'm going to make you physically blind so that in the spiritual you can see. And so Paul knows how to deal with this. He knows how to deal with someone who is spiritually blind to the ways of the Lord. And so he says, you need to experience physical blindness right now so that the spiritual has an opportunity to see. Because he understood that there was a soul at risk. The battle is raging. We have to know. We don't pick fights, but we know when to fight. We get behind what Jesus is doing and understand he is seeking to save the lost. The application for us is this, community matters because if we have this opposition and if this battle is raging, can I tell you, we can't do it alone because a lone ranger is a dead ranger. And so we're called into this battle, this war. We're called to be God's army in it, soldiers within it. And if we're a lone ranger, we're a dead ranger. And so that means he calls us to do this thing in community, big community like this, where we can actually get truth declared to us so that we aren't led astray. But then even smaller community, we get called into things like city groups. And that's why I'd encourage you, if you're not in one, you need to get in one. Because it's not just simply a bunch of mates getting together and enjoying life. That does happen, don't get me wrong. But what we're doing there is, is we're soldiering. We're getting side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Because we understand there will be times where we need medics in to care for us in the midst of the darkness and the craziness of our world. We know that there is an, an opposition and an enemy who's seeking to lead us astray. And so we need people around us to help, help us see what we don't see. To help us see the truth even when we don't see it ourselves. We need those people who we do life with to the point where at 2 a.m. when you need to make the phone call, they are the people you find. That's what a city group should be. That's what a city group is all about. It's not the superficial thing. It's not just mates getting around and doing a Bible study. It's understanding the depth of the opposition we have, the enemy we have, and knowing, hey, there is truth here, and we can share and uplift and build each other. Last one is this, perseverance. It's the last ingredient in the mix. It says that the, when the proconsul saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, and he actually would now believe. Very few people have this one and done experience. Most people understand that this thing is a journey. It's very rare that you will have someone experience the gospel, and immediately that's it. Jesus is Lord. It's one and done. It's finished. And so if we are ones who are movers of the gospel, we need to realize it's going to take some perseverance because we might only see the little link in the chain that we got to be a part of. Because we know how the gospel works. We know how God's truth works, how God's, uh, how God's heart gets into people. It's like a seed, and so it has to get planted. And there'll be a time where it needs to be tended. And then there'll be a time where it's growing, and it'll be a small shoot, and now it needs to come into maturity. And then there will be a time of harvest. And so an ingredient for us is that we have to take perseverance very clear because we can get disheartened when we're not seeing the fruit right now. But we should know that detours in the kingdom are not destinations. That actually a failure in the midst of the kingdom in Jesus moving his gospel forward is actually not final. And there might be bumps along the road, but all we can do is do our part to help someone take the next step.
And you might only be helping them take step number 34 of, of a thousand steps. But if God has called us to do that, the question is, will we be obedient to it? Will we be the movers of the gospel who understand we are salt and light? And understand that in the, in the walking it out, there might be some disappointment. Because moving the gospel means there's not just opposition, there's also going to be setbacks. Verse 13 ends like this. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. It's a verse we can jump over and not really see the depth of it. But this is John Mark who would actually write the Gospel of Mark. And it's actually a major disappointment and blow to Paul and his ministry. Because when you look at the original language and even what comes after, this wasn't just him leaving and going back home because of some important reason. He actually abandons them in the midst of their mission. A mission they were all called to, he ducks early. Actually, when Paul goes out on his second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to bring uh, John Mark along, again, uh, along again, and, and, and Paul says no. He let us down. He ducked out early. It was a setback. It was a major blow for the ministry that they were called to. And so it's no shock to us when setbacks come our way. But we can't forget disappointment is temporary in this life because God is the one who moves because the gospel continues. John Mark would still write a gospel. <laughs> he would be brought back himself. He would be restored. There might have been issues with people. There's going to be issues. There'll be setbacks. But the gospel is empowered by Jesus and so it moves forward. Here's what I want to wrap up with. If the gospel is moving and we're called to be movers of the gospel, we're called to be salt, we're called to be life, the question for all of us is will we answer the call of Jesus, the one who equips us, who emboldens us, encourages us, qualifies us, the one who protects us, the one who preserves us, the one who purposes us for his gospel to move forward? Will we take up that challenge to see his kingdom advance, understanding we can now be carriers of hope, that we get to bring it to a world so desperate for it? Why don't you stand with me and pray? Lord, I'm so struck right now. I hope that every single heart at some level is feeling challenged right now. Because you call us to be salt and light, to be ones who preserve life and ones who expose the truth, share the truth in love. Lord, for those of us who haven't taken that step where your light is now living and exposing within us, Lord, I pray that right now there would be there would be hearts that are being drawn back to you. That people would know, Lord, that we could take that step right now today. That you're the God who is calling, inviting us in to be in this kingdom, to be saved by the power of the gospel. We're only saved by Jesus and nothing else. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be so challenged that we would know right now, even as you do business in our hearts, that there are steps you are calling us to, to take within this community, to see this thing built up, to see the gospel move in this place, to see the diversity of calling and gifting that we have um, be built up because of the individuals that have been called here. Lord, I pray that you would identify because we're not just called here, we're not just called to be this little bless me club. 
We're called to have an impact outside of these walls. And so, Lord, would you, would you reveal to us those synagogues that we have? Would you reveal to us the callings you have for us outside this building to walk obediently in sharing your truth with others? Lord, there will be obstacle, there will be opposition, but you let us do this together. It's why we get to pray together like this. It's why we get to gather like this so that we can be protected, so that we can be cared for, so that you can build us up as a body. Lord, would we take seriously the challenge? Lord, you call us to be salt and light. Would we be saltier? Would we shine brighter? Father God, would we do what only you call us to do? Would we not be led astray? Would we not fall by the, by the wayside? Jesus, you lead this church. Jesus, you lead us. Would we be able to discern it by the power of your spirit and obedient to walk it out? In Jesus' name, amen.